Thanks for downloading a 3CR podcast. 3CR is an independent community radio station based in Melbourne, Australia. We need your financial support to keep going. Go to www.3cr.org.au for more information and to donate online. Now stay tuned for your 3CR podcast. Hello and welcome to another smashing episode of Lost in Science. So we are going to be, I don't know, smashing some science. Um, banging those rocks and seeing what comes out. Um, joining me is the effervescent, effervescent, sorry, uh, Claire. How are you, Claire? Hello, Chris. Um, glad to be referred to as effervescent on the radio. Fantastic. I'm doing well. How are you? Yeah, yeah, fantastic. I don't know what effervescent is, so I just, you know, I'm just going to ignore that. Now, have you got some smashing science or some rocks that you're breaking today? Well, um, I don't know about rocks, but I do have some turd science um, today. So, well, okay, okay, let me backtrack here. Not necessarily turd science, but we will probably... Um, Cover a little bit off on turds. It is some flushing facts. Uh, I have recently, as you know, been changing a lot of nappies for the past nine months and was surprised to learn um, that a few other parents um, that I know flush the bamboo liners in their cloth nappies. And that got me researching um, whether that was actually possible and the whole sort of debate about what you can flush down the toilet and then more broadly what you can pour down the drain Um, because you know often out of sight out of mind we use the sink and the drain and the and you know the toilet as a bit of a bin disposal unit which is good for some types of disposal i.e turds but not good for other types of disposal. So I'm going to bring us a refresher um, uh, on some of those, what you can flush, what you can tip down the drain, and why it's um, important not to put anything else down there. Great. Um, This sounds like a very important story with a lot of practical advice, but I just can't get my head around now the idea that uh, number two is the turd number. Uh, think about that, if you will. Um, oh, yeah. Can't forget. Never forget. Speaking of things that you can't flush down the drain, uh, Stu, what have you got for us today? Uh, doubts about whether I like being introduced that way, but um, I'm actually going to be talking about uh, another thing that, well, is, is apparently unflushable. Um, I'm going to be talking about UFOs. Oh. <laughs> Unflushable objects. <laughs> yeah. Um, <laughs> so, look, uh, it was it was World UFO Day last week, and I know... Was it really? I know you were both fully aware of that before I just mentioned it, but yes, it was World UFO Day. I didn't um, see anything. Uh, <laughs> nothing you could identify? No, just a few blurry <laughs> pictures. Yeah. <laughs> so, look, I just thought it was a, it was a timely moment, and it, there has been a lot of stuff about UFOs and UAPs, which is the new term that we're being encouraged to use. Um, there's lots of 
a bunch of stuff got released by the Navy in the US and there's all sorts of things going on about it. But I just thought I'd have a bit, you know, in deference to the World UFO Day, which I think is a bit of a, uh, not not a joke, not a scam, but it's it's not exactly science. But I thought I'd have a look into it anyway, just just for fun. Great. Well, this is like a fantastic uh, variety on this show today. So look, keep watching the skies, keep watching the sewers and... On with the show. So it is pretty tempting to use our drains and our sewage system as a bit of a bin. Not really give much thought to what we're putting down the drains, down our toilets. Uh, Maybe you're tempted to pour down used cooking oil or down the sink or, you know, turn on the tap. Just it just it just removes all sins. It just ask Pontius <laughs> Pilate, <laughs> or maybe oh, I don't know. Maybe you've got a half-used tin of paint in the cupboard that you know you've been tempted to pour down the drain, or maybe you've been flushing wipes or bamboo nappy liners, um, or maybe you've been flushing the cat poop down the litter tray. Well, this week, you know, if you relate to any of those, boy. I've got the lowdown in the ground for you. I've got the, I don't know if that pun works, the lowdown on the ground, just, just, in the ground, under the ground. Just go with the flow, Claire. Just go with the flow. <laughs> just go with the flow. Oh, gosh. Um, because, you know, all those habits, they can cause big problems in your house. They can cause problems in your backyard. Um, so let's have a look. And first of all, let's have a look at the things that can go down your drain that you might pour down your sink that might cause problems. And um, according to uh, some water utilities, the worst thing that you can pour down your drain is fats and oils. Oh. Now, yeah, yeah, it's the worst thing. And, you know, fats and oils, they do not mix with water. They are, as they say, as we say in science, immiscible, immiscible. But you know how it is when, um, like, the cooking oil, it's nice and hot and it flows really easily. It does flow really nicely, doesn't it? And it's like... It's tempting. Yeah. Yeah, it is tempting. This is how we get fatbergs, guys. This is how we get fatbergs. And when they're hot, they pour very easily. Um, But down the sewer pipes, they cool down. They cool down very quickly. Um, And it's very cold down there because there's not a lot of heat. So what ends up happening is um, oils do not mix with water, they do not dissolve, um, and they end up cooling and solidifying. And like Stu just said, it spells disaster and the fatberg. It spells F-A-T-B-E-R-G, fatberg. Um, It's actually quite a serious problem. It's estimated about 30% of sewer blockages are due to fats and oils. Um, and, yeah, what we mean by fatbergs is all these oils, fats and greases, they combine with other materials down the, d- that, you know, that might go down the sink or down the toilet. I'm talking uh, all the gross things you can imagine. So if you don't like, you know, imagining gross things, then maybe tune out for the next 10 seconds. But imagine all of the waste of your hair and flushable wipes that aren't actually flushable combining into – a giant monstrosity that is a fatberg. Um, 
you know, there's there's fatbergs that have been bigger than buses, bigger than houses. And don't oh, don't forget all that other gross stuff in there, like skin and all of the other bits <laughs> of your body parts that end up down the drain. It's it's a whole lot of gross stuff that somebody has to go and unclog. Think, exactly. Think of the poor guy down there, the poor think worker, of the poor person. And, and they get quite hard too, don't they? These these congealed papers. I I remember going years ago to to the. the London Museum in London, they had like a segment of a fatberg in the museum mm. just to show what it was like. And yeah, it was like a, a rock almost. Yeah, well, those oils um, are like the glue that glues the, you know, they're, they're the mortar and the flushable wipes are the bricks of the fatberg, of the bricks and mortar fatberg. And then your hair is like the, um, the, the Rio. <laughs> it's disgusting. Human Rio. Human Rio, oh gosh! It actually um, took UK workers two weeks in 2021 to remove a fatberg from London sewers as big as a house. So um, yeah, think about them. It can it can cause a lot of havoc. Um, yeah. So what do you do instead of putting it down the sink? Well, some councils offer recycling for cooking oils. Small amounts of cooking oil also can be composted or tipped on the garden. Don't go too overboard with this. I'm sure you'd agree with me, Stu, um, because it can trigger anaerobic or, you know, um, uh, decomposition that has no oxygen in it. So that can cause rotting and stink, right? Yeah, well, yeah, yeah. The, as you said, the anaerobic bacteria are the ones that, that take over when there's a lack of oxygen and they're the ones that make the real stinky smells in people's compost piles yeah um and you know even even worm farms if you don't have enough worms in there can suffer from the same thing so it's yeah it's not advisable and it also forms an impenetrable layer because it doesn't mix with water so if you pour it on your soil water Mm. can't soak into the soil it can't get down to your plant Mm. roots and things so really the best idea is to put it into the landfill unfortunately um you know we don't like more landfill but it is better than going down the sink and it's better than going in large quantities into um into the soils um so up next paint old paint i'm sure everyone's got half a tin of old paint lying around how to get rid of it um water services say all paint all oils lubricants pesticides thinners none of that should go down the sink they contain hazardous chemicals they can cause sewer pipe damage, uh, uh, environmental pollution, create fumes that are dangerous for people who work down in the sewers. So, um, uh, you know, people who are working in the sewer system, they have they have to squeeze into incredibly tight, small spaces, and the quality of air that they breathe down there is. Um, you know, it reflects what people are putting down their sinks and flushing down the toilet. So some of the chemicals that you – like all of the chemicals that you pour down there will end up in the sewage system. And um, if they are reactive chemicals, like, you know, some of them may be, especially if they're, um, you know, paints and uh, and pesticides and all that sort of thing, they can, they can create explosive conditions. So, yeah, sewage, sewage workers have been killed. From dangerous fumes so instead what you should do especially with old paint i found this website it's called paintback.com.au it is a free service across australia and you find your nearest location you just put in your address find your nearest location and you can drop off your old paint 
for no charge. So that was paintback.com.au. So there you go. All right, so that's things you shouldn't pour down the sink. Now to the drain, to the flushing. Um, and first up, as a community service announcement, I want to reiterate um, just what the water treatment professionals tell us. There's only three things, that, three P's that go down the toilet. Three P's. Well, three letter, letter P's. That is P, poop, and toilet paper. Toilet paper. Anything else and your risk of clogging up the sewage system um, and, you know, creating health hazards and um, environmental issues. So things like those so-called flushable wipes that are not actually flushable um, but also other non-flushable objects. So things, something that I've come into contact with over the last nine months are bamboo liners in cloth nappies. Yeah. Now, these bamboo liners, some ad- some companies advertise they are able to be flushed down the toilet. They're not actually wipes, they're these liners, and um, it's questionable um, considering they're pretty solid. They're made out of bamboo fibres and they don't break down in water. They're not part of the 3Ps. So after a bit of research, it really does look like, no, they're not flushable, they're just like any other wipe. Don't put them down the toilet. Um, The only difference with the bamboo liners is they are compostable uh, so you can put them in your compost, but do so only with the pea-soaked ones. Don't do that with the poop-soaked ones because uh, poop in human compost is a no-no. <laughs> Unless you're really set up for that, which most of us aren't. Um, and then the last thing to mention here is cat poo. Now, some people teach their cats to poop in the toilet or empty the poo from the litter into the toilet. And... A quick research of this seems to be that judging um, that the experts say that is not cool and it's mostly for health and safety reasons, specifically potential transfer of uh, toxo- our, <laughs> our, um, the, a disease we all know and none of us love, toxoplasmosis. It's an, it causes issues with pregnant people. It's a really nasty one and it's transferred through cat poo. So um, because it is an issue and can get into the system and can end up um, either out in the water or um, even some some people suggest maybe in marine mammals, the best, um, the best advice is don't flush your cat poo down the toilet. Just put it into the bin, same as your dog poo. Um, and remember, if you are unsure about, you know, flushing or um, putting anything down the sink, it is best to err on the side of caution, put it in the trash, and then, you know, we can ensure that our wastewater management systems thrive, leaving us all with a flush of pride. Science and technology must be absolutely mind-boggling. Of course, that's, uh, it's mostly on the theoretical side. What's so far? Across Australia on the Community Radio Network, you're listening to Lost in Science. Now, did either of you do anything for World UFO Day? What day was it? It, it was it was Sunday, the second of July. I have to say, it it just passed me by, like all the UFOs out there, no doubt. I'm sure I watched the sky at some point, but uh, yeah, yeah. 
Um, I didn't. I didn't either. Well, I did watch. I did watch the end of a new episode of Star Trek, but not because it was World UFO Day, just because I was going to do that anyway. Um, and 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 that was a weird time travel story. It wasn't even in space most of the time. So anyway, second of July is apparently World UFO Day, um, except for people who interpret things in another way. Uh, then World UFO Day is on June twenty fourth. So. Um, but the official World UFO Day, according to the World UFO Day organization, or as I call them, WUFOTO, is the 2nd of July. And they would know because, well, apparently because they made it up. Um, sort of, sort of. I mean, the 24th of June, 1947, was a famous UFO sighting in the post-war period. Uh, that was widely reported in the media at the time, made by a pilot called Kenneth Arnold. And if you've ever done any reading about UFOs, you would know the Kenneth Arnold sighting, Washington State in the US, 24th of June, 1947. Now, the 2nd of July is the supposed date of the Roswell, New Mexico incident, which also gave rise to lots of publicity. And again, if you've ever read anything about UFOs, you will have come across some stuff about Roswell when it was claimed that a spaceship crashed in the area on that date. I think I think you should you can't go skip past literally the Kenneth Arnold one without explaining the significance of that particular sighting. Absolutely, absolutely. So Ken Arnold, uh, the Ken Arnold story is where the term flying saucer seems to derive from. He said they Ooh. move like saucers skipping over water is how he described them. So it that, wasn't the shape, it was the movement. And I yep. know too much about this subject, it seems. Well <laughs> You, you've obviously read a lot about the Ken Arnold story. Now, um, the, the stated goal of World UFO Day is to raise public awareness of, I quote, the undoubted existence of UFOs <laughs> and also promote discussion of possible alien life visiting Earth. Now, I'm going to be pedantic here. This might be a shock to you both. And come right out and say that nobody... Nobody can deny the existence of UFOs. The giveaway is in the name. They are unidentified flying objects. That, oh. that they are unidentified flying objects is not in any doubt, which is to say nobody can say for sure what they are, which is why they are unidentified. Identifying UFOs as something else means they are no longer eligible for the title, and it makes the day seem a bit redundant, I think. Now... <laughs> Recent, got us on a technicality, hey, Stu. Technically correct, the best kind of correct. Um, now, recently official documents have stopped referring to these sightings as UFOs and instead we're all advised to call them UAPs, which covers a whole lot more stuff, I think, than, than unidentified flying objects. Um, unidentified anomalous phenomena, and I reckon somebody wrote that as a joke because that's a tongue twister. Try saying anomalous phenomena... 10 times really quickly. Um, I think I think one of the key things is that um, it's not 100% sure that people are seeing objects. They're seeing something in the sky. And like, for instance, you know, sometimes people see the moon or the planet Venus and, um, yeah, mistake that for an alien spacecraft. Uh, well, when I it's mean, clearly, it's not actually an object flying through our sky. It's just some sort of anomalous phenomenon they've seen at the window, I guess. Yeah, and and you know, I mean, that's that's it's kind of a better description of an undefined sighting, I suppose. Mm-hmm. Um, and again, again, I would have to say this is 
undeniably something that gets reported often. So unidentified anomalous phenomena are definitely real. People see things they don't understand all the time and frequently ask other people who might be able to explain them or they might not be able to explain them. Um, but often they can be explained. Um, I just want to refer to Michael Shermer here, who is an author and publisher of Skeptic Magazine, which looks at extraordinary claims um, on the basis that extraordinary claims require extraordinary evidence. Um, and he makes a case for jumping from unknown or unidentified objects or phenomena to what he calls completely ridiculous alien piffle, or crap for short. Um, and the point he's making is that not having a satisfactory explanation for something doesn't really allow anyone to assume they know the answer to something otherwise unexplained. And this is why reports of UFOs and UAPs are a real thing. They happen all the time. But any suggestion they're aliens is kind of baseless supposition. Just because you saw something doesn't mean it is what you reckon, uh, especially if you can't explain in what way that would work. Now, uh, just on this subject, you might be familiar with the Drake equation. Obviously, we've talked about this before. It's probably one of the most famous equations. Uh, it is uh, an equation that was formulated in 1961, basically to try and help get the SETI program off the ground, the search for extraterrestrial intelligence, and involves a series of factors multiplied together to estimate the number of alien civilizations who might be transmitting radio signals into space. Because currently, we got none. We got nada. We got nothing. No alien civilizations have transmitted anything in our direction that we ever picked up. So if we look at aliens visiting Earth, that would require a completely different set of factors. Um, even us Earthlings have been transmitting longer than we have been spacefaring creatures. And even when we've got to space, we haven't actually gotten very far. We certainly know uh, there's certainly no interstellar transport realistically on the horizon. So we can't really give a figure for that. How long between inventing radio signals and getting interstellar travel is anyone's guess. We've got a, we've got a, uh, a sample size of one. And so far we've got zip on that as well. Um, so Frank Drake himself puts the number of transmitting societies that are detectable uh, at about 10,000 in the Milky Way galaxy. And this is based on a lot of assumptions. In fact, the whole equation, anytime someone works it out, is based on assumptions because most of this stuff, we've only got a sample size of one, which is us, to go on. We have got no comparison. Uh, but he's assuming that uh, one civilization comes online a year and they exist for about 10,000 years. And by, he, by his calculations, there's about 10,000 transmitting out there. But of course, these are just assumptions. And all those signals have to travel from wherever they are in the galaxy to us uh, before we can detect them, which in a galaxy over 50,000 light years across is potentially a very long way. Some of them will definitely have stopped transmitting before their signals reach us based on a figure of 10,000 years. So this is quite aside from the reality that sending signals through space at the speed of light is actually a lot simpler than sending objects through space at anything approaching the speed of light, and certainly a lot simpler than sending objects capable of carrying intelligent life as we know it anyway. But I think the biggest problem with the idea that advanced alien civilizations are visiting Earth is the lack 
of physical evidence. There's a lot of people who have theories. There's a lot of versions of cover-up stories, um, but they make very, very little sense. We've got lots and lots of objects in space. We've got lots of detection devices in space. We've got lots of countries who are space-capable. We've got lots of companies who are space-capable. It would require all governments of all political persuasions and every private company with space assets to agree not to tell. And personally, this is just my personal opinion, I just don't people I just don't think people have it in them to do that. People are terrible at keeping secrets, and that's one of the reasons why I don't think there is a massive cover-up. People always want to po- score points off each other, especially political points. It'd be so easy for someone to just say, "Look, here it is. Here's a spaceship from wherever or a part of a spaceship or whatever." But no one's ever done that. And the other thing is that as Chris alluded to in the uh, in the intro today, even with advances in camera technology and all kinds of detection devices and improvements in tech all across the board, the best we have after over 70 years of people saying they've seen these things is blurry, out of focus, out of range photos and footage that still reside firmly in the unidentified category. And until the phenomena are explained, then I think alien visitors have to remain at best in the maybe basket. Um, so, like, a couple of things here. I, I just want to, I'm not saying, I'm not at all saying I disagree with you. I'm going to be the, the devil's advocate or the um, ET's advocate here. Like, but, you know, you, you said that this World UFO Day was based on the date of the Roswell supposed UFO crash. Mm. Now, I guess what I'm saying is that you say, well, um, you know, there is no physical evidence that it has, you know, couldn't cover it up. But people are pointing to, say, actual events like this and saying, well, here is an actual event that we know of that was covered up. You know, what do you have to say to those kind of claims? Well, I, I think on the on on the case of World UFO Day, I think Wufodo is has a vested interest in keeping World UFO Day going, for one thing. Um, and look, there, there, of course, I'm not going to deny that governments are secretive, especially about military technology and things like that and that that is a very simple an explanation simple explanation for why there may be mysteries and it was near uh was near a, a military base as well so you know i think those kind of simple explanations the one of the questions i heard someone raise recently is that if aliens are here and they don't want us to see us uh don't want us to see them they would almost certainly have the technology to do that because we have the technology to do that. And if they do want to be seen, why are they not making themselves more obvious than than random blurry photos in bizarre locations? I think that's a, that's a pretty good argument as well. Um, I think, you know, certainly governments do cover things up and they're certainly secretive about, certainly about military things, but I think uh, other governments are trying to break each other's secrets all the time. And the fact that None of them have done that, especially during the Cold War, which was probably the peak of espionage in the last, you know, 100 years, that nobody's still got any evidence for either side. I don't know. It just seems a bit unlikely to me. Well, we've all seen, um, seen well, many people probably see Men in Black where they can erase people's memories. So, you know, I guess you could explain it that way. Yeah. I mean, if the aliens don't want us to know, then why do we even remember? <laughs> 
And that's it for another episode of Lost in Science. Lost in Science is recorded for 3CR in Melbourne on the lands of the Wurundjeri people of the Kulin Nation. And it airs across Australia on the Community Radio Network with the support of the Community Broadcasting Foundation. We would love you to get in touch with us. You can email us at lostinsci at gmail.com or you can find us on Facebook where Lost in Science on 3CR or on Twitter where we're at Lost in Science 1. You can find us on your favourite podcast app where if you get the chance, please give us a good rating and review as that will raise us up in the search ranking so other people can find the science. Or you can listen to us however you listen to us now where at the same time every week, Claire, Stu and Chris get Lost in Science. Thanks for listening to a 3CR podcast. 3CR is an independent community radio station based in Melbourne, Australia. We need your financial support to keep going. Go to www.3cr.org.au for more information and to donate online.